So I bring you uh, greetings from sunny southeastern Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's about the same there as it is here. And um, so um told Dick when I got here, um, I made an unprecedented three stops on my way here. Men of a certain age understand what I'm talking about. Uh, two in New Jersey <laughs> and one in West Nyack. I'm so close. Uh, but um, I got to tell you, so on my way, right after I passed into New Jersey, um, I was driving and kind of navigating the, the, the snow flurries that were hitting my windshield. And uh, I, I saw something in the sky and then I saw a bunch of things in the sky. And I saw literally like a, a half a dozen hot air balloons. So whatever you're doing on a snowy day, it could be much worse, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, so um, I'm finding that um, this has been a fun season for me. As Dick mentioned, I, if you ca- caught his words, I was a pastor <laughs> up until Easter. And uh, Easter was my final Sunday at the church that I led in uh, Emmaus, Pennsylvania, Lehigh Valley. And um, since then, I've been doing a lot of this, a lot of sub work, all right, for pastors who are either taking a vacation, that happened a lot over the summer, or uh, for various reasons. So um, what I'm finding is that it's both refreshing and and complicated, because as a pastor, when you're doing this every week, you're in a flow, you know pretty much what's going to happen and, and when it's going to happen. And so the message is really nothing, it's just a seamless you move in. I'm finding that as I go to other churches, I'm just a, I'm just a worshiper. And, and as just a worshiper, I'm just enjoying what's happening. I'm, I'm able to actually listen to the lyrics that I'm singing. <laughs> uh, oh, and so I've already, I, I, I'm on sensory overload, if you can't tell. Um, so this morning, uh, just the, the music was just powerful. Another in the fire, another in the water. Um. I, I, I probably mess up these lines, but I'm going to find joy in the battle where you promised you'd be. And I, I'm winding the tape back. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Finding joy in the battle? Like what? Because you promised you'd be there. I got to tell you, um, if you haven't found this out already, there's going to be fires and water to pass through. And there's going to be battles. And I, I think our posture so often is we dread that. It's like, oh, here it comes. And the song just turned that on its head and said, no, 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 that's, that's where you're going to find me. I want to be there. The Father's going to be with you in those times. Whew, good song. So um, on my way here, I uh, it was able to listen to all of Hebrews, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Audio Bible, right? Um, listen to my typical worship music on the way. And, and one song that came on, really kind of pulls together where I want in this just I want to introduce myself a little bit to you but um, it, it relates to that song uh, and, and only it's using fire in a different way all right it's, it's a song that just very simply says set a fire in my soul that I can't contain and I, and I can't control I want more of you God so, I, I mean, I'm just trying to get a feel for Northern Westchester right now this morning, okay? And, and I don't know about you, but most of my life, I was kind of more or less trained, both as a Christian, but then as a pastor, you keep certain things very close to your chest. You keep it very under control. 
And then I'm listening to this worship song, stupid worship song. It says, set a fire in my, in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. Time out. <laughs> but what? Something that I can't contain and control? When have we ever gotten the idea that we can somehow control the Holy Spirit? Wow. So, I am asking a question. Um, why am I here this morning? Okay? In a very practical sense, I'm here because I was invited. <laughs> okay? That might sound like, oh, yeah, it's Captain Obvious, but there's probably more to that, hey, Hey, Al, I know you. Can you come and speak at our church? There's more to that, all right? But I, I don't take that lightly, that when someone, in particular another leader or pastor, invites me to come and speak to, to their church family, that's an honor. Uh, and I, and I thank, thank you, Dick, for giving me the opportunity to do that. Um, so not only did I have a, an immediate, specific uh, uh, invite but in a broader sense, this has been developing for a couple of years now, but I, I have a sense of a call in my life. And certainly as a pastor, you receive a call, right? You're going to lead God's people. But this is a different call. It's, um, it's, it's more of a missionary call, quite honestly. And um, not that pastors can't be missionaries, okay? But um, so here's the thing. Um, as part of the reason I'm here this morning, besides sharing with you from Hebrews 13, I want to share with you a passion that I share, and I believe Dick shares as well, and that is that, that we would see a movement of everyday disciples who follow Jesus so closely, they begin to impact their neighborhoods in noticeable ways. And that, in fact, they have an opportunity to, to go where, like, pastors may never be able to go. You, you have those opportunities. And I'm going to share that God's opened up a door recently for me to start going places where I was never able to go before. But um, we have, a, we have a, a, a desire, a vision, a passion to see God raise up everyday believers who work at IBM, right? It's right up right down the road, right? I passed that on the way here. Saw that for the first time this morning. Um, who work in the local Dunkin' Donuts, but who connect with people every day that need Jesus and who will go on mission, not only for him, but with him and with others. So in regard to that, um, we are part of what's called the Northeast Hub of 3DM. Um, the uh, kind of our, our, our director leader it has just moved to, to the Portland, Maine area, Gina Mueller. Some of you, I think she spoke here a while back. Um, but beyond that, Dick and I are sensing that God is calling us to pray. Every great move of God has always been preceded by prayer. And so I'm actually got a little bit of a head start because of the, the vision calling God gave me about three years ago. But I'm already meeting every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. with two other pastors and a lay leader. And uh, we're, we're praying for God to go on mission, not only through us, but to others through us as well. And I believe that that's just the beginning. Um, I would love to see if it's online or whatever means it, form it takes, that that prayer undergirding would be just a groundswell. Uh, 
for what God's going to do in the Northeast. Because he can do it here, right? You believe that? <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, actually, that's an invitation. If you have any kind of a stirring sense in your heart that th there's got to be more that God wants to do, and you want to be part of that in a prayer setting, uh, talk to Pastor Dick. Uh, we're going to be setting, getting that online or wherever it's going to end up uh, shortly. All right. Second reason I'm here is to break open Hebrews 13. You've been making your way through Hebrews. I realize it's, again, one of those weird Sundays where didn't we just have Thanksgiving and it's Advent and, oh my gosh, we're finishing up a series and all these things kind of converge. But I'm going to stick to Hebrews 13. I'm going to make it really simple. One, maybe two verses out of that passage this morning for us to look at. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we take a look at the Word of God. In the name of Jesus, we gather. Jesus, in your name, we we present ourselves to the Father, uh, giving that sacrifice of praise to you. And hopefully not just with our words or with our heads, but with our hearts and our very lives. And I pray that during the moments that we have to kind of dig deeper into the scriptures this morning, that you would speak, God. And, and Lord, forgive us for those multitudes of times when you have spoken because you always speak. You're communicating God. Forgive us for those times when we have been dull to hear, slow to hear, too busy, too distracted, um, just kind of pursuing our own things instead of listening for your voice. So my heart's prayer this morning is that all of us would hear from you and uh, take from you that which we need to hear to direct our lives from this point on. Thank you for your word. Thank you for faithful leaders who in the past have shared your word with us. Thank you for those quiet moments when we ourselves, just you and us, you and I, you and we can be together in your presence and hear your guidance. Have your way in, in this place today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, um, no doubt, in your messages in the Hebrew series so far, you have encountered the rich, deep, historical, and theological material that is just chock full in this letter to the Hebrews. It was uh, written and designed to encourage and to persuade back and propel forward a group of people who were being pulled in many directions in their time and in their context. And on many sides, by political forces, by cultural forces, and even religious forces, they were being pulled in many different directions. The pull was to leave this unique, new Jesus movement and to kind of go incognito, to go um, underground and become less visibly connected to Jesus and this revolutionary new thing that he had started. In this movement, uniquely, I'm sure for that time, and as we look at it in context of what happens in our country today, here was a movement where one people group, the Jewish people, 
with a long-standing relationship and connection with Yahweh God, were coming together with those we classify as Gentiles who had a long-standing disconnect from that God of creation and redemption. They were now coming together as one in fellowship, in communion, community, in lifestyle and vision. In the first 12 chapters, there, have been, there were many references uh, to the historical figures who demonstrated faith and trust throughout biblical history. And then there was the review of the author and the perfecter, Jesus Christ himself. As, as we were encouraged in chapter 12 of Hebrews to fix our eyes on this Jesus and to consider him, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, the great high priest, the final word from the Father, the better way, the, the mediator of a better and, in fact, best covenant possible for us. And now as the writer seeks to bring to a conclusion this, this massive persuasive letter, he gets super practical. It's a pattern of Paul's. We don't know if Paul wrote this one or not. We're not sure. Not sure where you landed on that. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but like the pattern is the same. He no longer is just appealing to history, to God's actions in the distant and maybe even not so distant past as he reflected on what Jesus did. He's no longer referring to the great luminaries of the Hebrew faith tradition as well as the greater cloud of anonymous faithful men and women of the past. He now says, this is the Eugene Peterson slash Al Giles paraphrase, okay? Look around you. Look at the people that you spend your time with. Look at those who are living examples of everything we believe. And remember, consciously call to mind and call out of your memory actual incidents and experiences, encounters and conversations that you yourselves have had with those directly and immediately in your faith community. And when I stopped there a moment ago and gave you my paraphrase, I want to encourage you to do that. Look around. Look around this room this morning. The word used here is remember. Yep. So good luck, whoever's running this today, because I'm just, you, hopefully you'll see. <laughs> it's one of those deals where it's like when you're lost and somebody says, hey, just follow that, 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 and you can't miss it, right? So I gave, I gave the PowerPoint over here, and I said, you can't miss it. So we'll see what happens. That's all right. <laughs> the word remember um, in the original language is, I'm going to give my best, mene menot meneute. And, and it's, it's on purpose. It's, it's the M and the N in our transliteration together. That pattern of words always had something to do with memory and remembering. Um, it's a striking combination of words in the original language, and it stems from the ancient Indo-European root of M-E-N, men, from which all our English words that have to do with the mind, admonish, and from which we even have the noun monument. Monuments are designed to be physical, visible reminders of something or someone. 
there's a disproportional prevalence of those types of words in the New Testament, which demonstrates that the New Testament aims to make the reader remember something already experienced rather than teaching or seeking something utterly brand new. Romans 2.15, and then quoted also in Jeremiah, the requirements of the law, it tells us, Paul tells us, are written even on Gentile hearts. There's something already there. Echoing Jeremiah's description of God's spirit, putting God's laws on their hearts and then writing them on their minds. And so I believe that the writer here is now saying, everything that we've been telling you about, as demonstrated by historical figures, is actually already being lived out among you. Specifically, in this case, in in Hebrews 13, by your leaders. So a very holy and necessary activity that we all can carry out in the body of Christ is to intentionally consider the lifestyles, the behaviors, and the spiritual results of our leaders. All very real, all very human, very close up and personal, and very noticeable, meaning warts and all. Wow. Just had a conversation with, uh, how far does this, this, this is on YouTube or whatever? Yeah, okay, that's all right. Just had a conversation about uh, a situation. My son and, uh, and his, some of his closest friends growing up in a church setting, uh, his friends were the sons of the lead pastor that I served with. Um, all I can say is that the, the desire, sometimes the cultural expectations that pastors and or leaders shouldn't have any issues or problems causes them to have the issues and problems they have to go underground. It's very unhealthy. So that little statement that I added at the end of that last thing, warts and all, is so important. Paul would have told you his warts. In fact, he does. Paul wrote, what, well over half of the New Testament. All right, moving on. Remember, remember to purposely and purposefully call to mind and recall actual events and to consider the outcome of their way of life. Now, I'm at a disadvantage here this morning. I'm a guest speaker, right? I do not live in this community nor in this state, for that matter. I'm more influenced, for good or bad, by Philadelphia than of New York City. That's supposed to be funny, but we'll move on. You know me somewhat vicariously through your lead pastor, Dick, and through his experiences with me. And for those of you who were on Zoom last December 27th, it's been almost a year, crazy to believe, through a message I shared with you via Zoom about heart surgery. So, there's not very much for you to remember and consider about my life, quite honestly. You don't really know me that well. But you do have among you men and women who are living the Jesus life. And I believe the core of this passage, as well as the core content of my message to you this morning, is this. There are people 
right here in your assembly whom you've had interactions with, who you have prayed for and have prayed with you, who have encouraged and guided you, who have lived out the Jesus-shaped life among you, and you have been able to see a life and a lifestyle worth imitating in them. This one verse, Hebrews 13, 7, is packed with a powerful message, and I believe the most powerful directive is the third one. Remember, consider, and imitate. And I have to be super honest here. This is the weakest issue for me on many levels as one seeking to have or to live an imitatable life as well as offering such a life. But I would also say, from experience and observation and asking lots of questions, particularly of pastors and leaders, it is also the weakest area for North American pastors and churches who are interested in making disciples, who can reproduce and make other disciples. It would not be a big deal if the writer to the Hebrews would have said something like this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their sermons, their lessons, their outlines, their devotionals, their well-written newsletter articles. Imitate what they talked about. But unfortunately for us, who, meaning us, all of us, who love our multitudes of Bible studies, lessons, sermons, Christian books, and radio stations, and music, and podcasts, that is not what the writer encouraged us to do. In fact, the word in the original language translated as spoke in the phrase spoke the word of God to you had much more to do with informal and organic conversations. Not so much the ones that happen in a monologue from behind a microphone, but the ones that were had in a pew or in a hallway or at a coffee shop during the week. The differences, if you're interested, would be laleo, which would be normal conversation, but injecting Jesus into that, versus lego, which is more of a prepared, informational-centered speech. Life on life. And the learning of life from natural conversations, more so than with formalized speeches designed to transfer content of information. Remember your leaders. In fact emphasizes the people, not their words. And this is driven home by the next two related instructions. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their, I say, lived out faith. What I need, I'll just start with myself this morning. What I need more than one more great message, more than one more convicting Christian song, more than another book about another amazing Christian or five ways to do this or that in the Christian life is a real, live, Jesus-with-skin-on person living in my proximity who in some measure approximates the life of Jesus. I can tell you, though I myself have tried for years, you can't imitate a sermon. You can't imitate the offering of sermons from a pulpit. You cannot imitate words or stories or principles or concepts contained in a teaching. You can only imitate an observable human life. 
And herein lies one or two issues that inhibit our discipleship, our following closely of Jesus and producing from that relationship and that experience other people who can also live and reproduce the life of Jesus into others. Number one, we have not been close enough to a disciple maker to be apprenticed by them, an effective disciple maker. Or number two, we do not have any notable disciple makers living nearby us to give us that vital access. The transfer of information alone is not enough. There must be transformation. If the last 50 years of evangelical life has taught us anything, it is that the volumes of information available to us, I almost thought of this on the way here, in Christian bookstores, which barely exist anymore because everything's online, but I can remember walking the halls of a Christian bookstore. But if, if, if our experience over the last 50 years has taught us anything, it is that the volumes of information available to us has not made a dent in our ability to reach our culture. So the, although the problem is very real, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to encourage you this morning, the answer is not as far away as we think. God always, always starts with exactly where we are. And that's exactly where he starts with me and with you. You are part of a vital Christian community here in CBC. My hunch is that there are more living examples of living the Jesus lifestyle in this fellowship than you are giving yourselves credit for. I know that as disappointed as I can be at my own lack of fruit in this area, it's often the result of my own narrow thinking and spotty memory. My personality is such that I can tend to dwell on the negative, the failures, the incompletes, and just kind of skip really quickly over the wins, the powerfully positive experiences, the subtle yet beautiful stories of breakthrough and even stories of multiplication that God has allowed me to participate in. So for someone wired like me, the call to remember and to consider is huge. There are imitatable aspects of my own life and ministry that God wants me to recall and be encouraged by and continue living into those life experiences. Now I'm going to jump real quickly streams from the church to another stream, because the best example in my life right now of this, this imitatable type of pattern, is a non-religious example coming right out of the business world. <clears throat> Sorry. For the last two years, God has opened a door for me to start my own business. He has allowed me to learn from one of the most successful practitioners in my region, and what I have learned about my field has been spot on. This person has allowed me to be close enough to learn from him. He has intentionally opened up more of his life and practices to me than even others in my field. And what I noticed most about my, uh, this experience from day one, because of my prior experience of learning and training and doing a lot of reading and the discipling ways of Jesus, I am finding that there was a principle from the business world of being an apprentice that has uncanny ties to becoming an apprentice of Jesus. 
in the business world. My mentor said that due to his life trajectory 35 years ago, which was not a good one, he was led to an extremely successful practitioner who told him this, Ron, if you do what I do, you'll make what I make. Now, I'm going to say it just like he says. Ron graduated from East Stroudsburg University with a degree in health and phys ed. He was a football coach and his own confession. I was never going to invent anything that was going to storm the market. And I probably got hit in the head too many times playing football to do anything really smart on my own. So I had to take that advice. And so my mentor, who admittedly was never going to make royalties for inventing some historic gadget that would sweep the world, decided to take his mentor, Bob, at his word and in 10 years was breaking barriers of his own in that business. I have begun personally to implement that same strategy and in less than three years, I'm seeing the fruit of following some time-tested patterns as an apprentice. Here was the principal guiding statement. Do what I do and you'll make what I make. Which sounds a lot like, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Which sounds a lot like imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then the mind blower in that passage, which was taken from 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, imitate me, but I'm not coming. I'm going to send you Timothy. Imitate him because he's imitating me, and if you imitate him, you're going to be imitating me, And everything that I teach is embodied, not another sermon, but in a person. Wow. Clearly expressed when Peter outlines this as the way we witness most effectively in his first letter. Chapter 3, 15 and 16. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I often wondered, there it is. That's how we witness. It doesn't start with me saying something. It starts with me being what? Asked a question. Why would somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus ask me a question? Because they see something in me that they want. And I'm not telling them everything that I've learned in Bible school or Sunday school for the rest of my, it's I'm answering their question specifically about life. That's when we are powerful Witnesses. So I'd like to conclude by giving three brief examples of lives, real human personal relationship connections that God has allowed me to remember recently as I considered their way of life and clearly saw that they had a faith worth imitating. Number one, my mom. She was a believer, came to know Christ in young adulthood. Um, her and my dad tried for 14 years to have children unsuccessfully, multiple miscarriages, finally had me. (laughs) I should have had a younger sister. She didn't make it. But my mom, though, though isn't always true for any, all of us who have, you know, had Christian parents or just uh, have parents that we looked up to. um, We can be very strongly influenced by our family. I can say that my mom had the kind of influence on me. She was singing constantly, usually hymns, Early in the morning, not always blessing me that well in the morning, (laughs) helping others first, inviting others to our house. If, If we had guest missionaries or speakers, 
I, I knew after a couple of years they were coming to our house. Hospitality. I followed in her footsteps, just like asking my family about this, right? So often, well, okay, if I'm honest, always, okay, with the last one out of a meeting due to helping everybody clean up would be me. Rolling up my sleeves to do dirty work. I could never forget one time at a, at a church that I was serving. I was there not long. I had my whole Sunday suit on back when you wore suits and all that. And there was something in the kitchen, and they needed the garbage taken out. So I took my jacket off, and I wrapped up the thing. And I took it out. Pastor, pastor, you have your Sunday clothes on. I'm like, and? <laughs> Let's just get this done, right? So my mom is, is the example that I can look to, number one. Number two, a man named Don Grable. He was a lifelong navigator, a coach, and a personal friend. Don was first introduced to me in 2006 when the church at which I was on staff as an associate pastor of adult ministries determined that we were going to engage with the Navigator's Church Discipleship Initiative. Don was our consultant, and I was the point person from our church and our staff to carry on strategic conversations, and upon which he would lean to train a select group of leaders from our church. We were charged with developing a relational disciple-making program within a larger church body. The hope was for our congregation to become a truly disciple-making church someday. It would not take long for me to deeply respect Don's experiences, leadership skills, personal life, and depth of relationship with the Lord, as was evidenced in his committed quiet time and journaling process, from which he would often read selections to I and maybe one or two others that were meeting with him as well as demonstrated in what he was doing with us, a deep passion for churches to learn how to follow the Great Commission and make disciples. As our work continued, my relationship with Don deepened. We not only became co-workers, but friends. And it became apparent to me that although we had a program to develop, Don was in this to also develop and train individuals like me. And I was honored to become one of his Timothys on that journey. Third, and this is one person, although it kind of morphs into many, the name Mike Breen should ring a bell to most of you and every leader that I've encountered in the 3D movement. I would say that kind of group, that cluster also has had an impact on me. Though at first it was kind of from afar and merely by listening, I quickly learned that these movemental leaders not only spoke well up front, but their invitations to come closer to them personally and learn from their lives were legitimate and real. They each carried a spiritual DNA I had not encountered before in any ministry or any sphere of Christian organization. They shared real life with me over what I consider today to be too brief of a period of time. But even in that time, they had a strong impact on me. Most impactful, along with reading every book he's published, was a deep, powerful, and I'd say life-changing conversation I had with Mike Breen in 2014. What he shared with me that day has changed the trajectory of my life as he simply, humbly, and yet profoundly led me to understanding the unfailing covenant love that the Father has for me. It's actually for you too. But he was able to somehow help me to understand personally how to stay connected to that covenantal love every day. And it changed my life. So here's two questions I want to ask each of you as we close. Some of you will be able, I understand, to stay for the sermon discussion time. Maybe we can launch into 
these questions at that time because I think it would be helpful for all of us. But number one, can you name someone who's had a sustained impact on you as a Christ-like example to imitate? Can you name them? If so, have you spent time specifically doing what Hebrews 13, 7 says, remembering, calling to mind, calling to specific memories, and considering their way of life and how you have been able to also imitate them? Number two, if you cannot name someone like that as having had that impact on your life, what could you do about it? call to discipleship, the call to live an imitatable life is not just for leaders. It's for all of us. It may start with a leader. It may not. It starts with someone who's got enough Jesus in them to rub off on us when we hang out with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word, but we also thank you for the wisdom and the the specific guidance that your word gives us, not just to learn more stuff, but to make application of all those things that we encounter in the scriptures. Thank you for the reminder, Father God, that it's probably your design that we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews because what matters is what they said. They told us that it's more important to see to be near, to imitate a life than to just know more information. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir each of our hearts this morning with a passion to not only imitate someone else, but to become imitatable and to live a life shaped by Jesus. Pray in his name.